interference from other events can distort memory. Suppose the police interview a witness shortly after a crime, showing pictures of possible suspects. Time passes, but eventually the police nab a suspect, one whose picture has been viewed by the witness. If the witness is now asked to view a lineup, he may mistakenly remember one of the suspects whose photo he saw as having been present at the crime. A particularly vivid example of a related process happened to Australian psychologist Donald M. Thompson. We've already learned about this, so we're going to skip. What psychologists call the curse of knowledge is our tendency to underestimate how long it will take another person to learn something new or perform a task that we have already mastered. Teachers often suffer this illusion. The calculus instructor who finds calculus so easy that she can no longer place herself in the shoes of the student who is just starting out and struggling with the subject. The curse of knowledge effect is close kin to hindsight bias, or what is often called the know-it-all-along effect, in which we view events after the fact as having been more predictable than they were before they occurred. Stock market pundits will confidently announce on the evening news why the stock market behaved as it did that day, even though they could not have predicted the movements that morning. Accounts that sound familiar can create the feeling of knowing and be mistaken for true. This is one reason that political or advertising claims that are not factual but are repeated can gain traction with the public, particularly if you have emotional resonance. Something you once heard that you hear again later carries a warmth of familiarity that can be mistaken for memory, a shred of something you once knew and cannot quite place but are inclined to believe. In the world of propaganda, this is called the big lie technique. Even a big lie told repeatedly can come to be accepted as truth. Fluency illusions result from our tendency to mistake fluency with a text for mastery of its content. For example, if you read a particularly lucid presentation of a difficult concept, you can get the idea that it is actually pretty simple and perhaps even that you knew it all along. As discussed earlier, students who study by rereading their texts can mistake their fluency with a text gained from rereading for possession of accessible knowledge of the subject and consequently overestimate how well they will do on a test. Our memories are also subject to social influence and tend to align with the memories of the people around us. If you are in a group reminiscing about past experiences and 
someone adds a wrong detail about the story, you will tend to incorporate this detail into your own memory and later remember the experience with the erroneous detail. This process is called memory conformity or the, quote, social contagion of memory, unquote. One person's error can infect other people's memory. Of course, social influences are not always bad. If someone recalls details of joint memory on which you are somewhat hazy, your subsequent memory will be updated and will hold a more accurate record of the past event. In the obverse of the social influence effect, humans are predisposed to assume that others share their beliefs, a process called the false consensus effect. We generally fail to recognize the idiosyncratic nature of our personal understanding of the world and interpretation of events and that ours differ from others. Recall how surprised you were recently on commiserating with a friend about the general state of affairs to discover that she sees an entirely different light matters on which you thought the correct view was fundamental and obvious. Climate change, gun control, fracking gas wells, or perhaps something very local such as whether to pass a bond issue for school, building, or to oppose construction of a big box store in the neighborhood. Confidence in a memory is not a reliable indication of its accuracy. You can have utmost faith in a vivid, nearly literal memory of an event and yet find that we actually have it all wrong. National tragedies like the assassination of President John Kennedy or the events surrounding 9-11 create what psychologists call flashbulb memories, named for the vivid images that we retain where we were when we got the news, how we learned it, how we felt, what we did. These memories are thought to be indelible, burned into our minds, and it is true that the broad outlines of such catastrophes thoroughly reported in the media are well remembered. But your memory of your personal circumstances surrounding the events may not necessarily be accurate. There have been numerous studies of this phenomenon, including surveys of 1,500 Americans' memories of the September 11 attacks. In this study, the respondents' memories were surveyed a week after the attacks, again a year later, and then again three years and ten years later. Respondents' most emotional memories of their personal details at the time they learned of the attacks are also those of which they are most confident, and paradoxically, the ones that have most changed over the years relative to other memories about 9-11. Mental Models As we develop mastery in the various areas of our lives, we tend to bundle together the incremental steps that are required to solve different kinds of problems. 
To use an analogy from a previous chapter, you could think of them as something like smartphone apps in the brain. We call them mental models. Two examples in police work are the choreography of routine traffic stop and the movies, rather the moves to take a weapon from an assailant at close quarters. Each of these maneuvers involves a set of perceptions and actions that cops can adapt with little conscious thought in response to context and situation. For a barista, a mental model would be the steps and ingredients to produce a perfect 16-ounce decaf frappuccino. For the receptionist at urgent care, it's triage and registration. The better you know something, the more difficult it becomes to teach it. So says physicist and educator Eric Mazurov Harvard. Why? As you get more expert in complex areas, your models in those areas grow more complex, and the component steps that compose them fade into the background of memory, the curse of knowledge. A physicist, for example, with, will create a mental library of the principles of physics she can use to solve the various kinds of problems she encounters in her work. Newton's laws of emotion, of motion, for example, or the laws of conservation of momentum. She will attend to sort problems based on their underlying principles, whereas a novice will group them by similarity of surface lectures, other surface features. Like the apparent being manipulated in the problem, pulley, inclined plane, etc., one day, when she goes to teach an intro physics class, she explains how a particular problem calls for something from Newtonian mechanics, forgetting that her students have yet to master the underlying steps she has long ago bundled into one unified mental model. This presumption by the professor that her students will readily follow something complex that appears fundamental in her own mind is metacognitive error, a misjudgment of the matchup between what she knows and what her students know. Mazur says that the person who knows best what a student is struggling with in assimilating new concepts is not the professor, it's another student. This problem is illustrated through a very simple experiment in which one person plays a common tune inside her head and taps the rhythm with her knuckles, and another person hearing the rhythmic taps must guess the tune. Each tune comes from a fixed set of set 25, so the statistical chance of guessing it is 4%. Tellingly, the participants who have the tune in mind estimate that the other person will guess correctly 50% of the time, but in fact, the listeners guess correctly only 2.5% of the time, no better than chance. Like Coach Dooley's football players memorizing their playbooks, we all build mental libraries of myriad useful solutions that we can call on at will to help us work our way from one Saturday game to the next. 
But we can be tripped by these models too, when we fail to recognize a new problem that appears to be a familiar one is actually something quite different and we pull out a solution to address it that doesn't work or make things worse. The failure is to recognize when your solution doesn't fit the problem is another form of faulty self-observation that can lead you into trouble. Mike Ebersole, the neurosurgeon, was called into the operating room one day to help a surgical student who, in the midst of removing a brain tumor, was losing the patient. The usual model for cutting out a tumor calls for taking your time, working carefully around the growth, getting a clean margin, saving the surrounding nerves, but when the, to- when the growth rather is in the brain and if you get bleeding behind it, pressure in the brain can turn fatal. Instead of slow and careful, you need just the opposite, cutting the growth out very quickly so the blood can drain and then working to repair the bleeding. Initially, you might be a little timid to take the big step, Mike says. It's not pretty, but the patient's survival depends on your knowing to switch gears and do it fast. Mike assisted, and the surgery was successful. Like the infant who calls the stranger Dada, we must cultivate the ability to discern when our mental models aren't working. When a situation that seems familiar is actually different and requires that we reach for a different solution and do something new.